Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Here are today's top stories. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis reacts to Disney's lawsuit against him. He says the company is upset because they have to live by the same rules as everybody else. District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office is seeking limits on what former President Donald Trump can share about the case against him. We have the details. Ensuring safe travel over the U.S., the FAA this week asking Congress to approve Biden's proposed multi-billion dollar budget. The lawmaker says he's pessimistic Congress will make any progress. Iran seizes an oil tanker headed to Texas. The U.S. Navy says Iran continues to disrupt maritime trade in the Middle East. Iran seized an oil-carrying ship that was headed to Texas. The U.S. Navy reported the ship was in the Gulf of Oman after leaving Kuwait. The vessel did not have U.S. flags. The Navy's announcement said the vessel had Marshall Island flags and was seized by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps Navy. The update on Twitter says the vessel was instead seized by Iran's Navy. The vessel was transiting international waters. The announcement also says this is the fifth commercial vehicle Iran has illegally seized in the Middle East waters. The statement added that Iran continues to harass vessels and interfere with maritime rights. It says the actions are a threat to maritime security and the global economy. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is speaking out on Disney's lawsuit against him. He described it as a political move that lacks merit. NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us more. The lawsuit by Disney is the latest move in a long-running dispute. The conflict centers around DeSantis's efforts to revoke the company's special legal and economic privileges. Giving companies their own governments, that is not what a free market is all about, last I checked. The company had near-total operational autonomy in the district where Disney World is located. DeSantis says companies like Universal and SeaWorld have been treated much differently. And so they're upset because they're actually having to live by the same rules as everybody else. The Florida governor says they don't want to pay the same taxes or have proper oversight. But DeSantis says every other Floridian is subject to that type of oversight. Disney sued DeSantis on April 26th. It accuses his administration of, quote, weaponizing its power to inflict political punishment on the company. Disney says that is due to its opposition to the Florida governor's parental rights and education legislation. The law banned instruction of gender identity and sexual orientation in public schools for kindergarten through third grade. And I will say a lot of Floridians were upset, particularly parents, uh, that they really went so headstrong into trying to get the sexualization of the curriculum into the elementary schools. The day DeSantis signed the bill, Disney issued a statement saying it was the company's objective to have it repealed. Disney says DeSantis is using the state government to punish a company for voicing an opinion that should be protected by free speech rights. Columbia University's Robert Cohen says DeSantis's criticism of the Democratic Party's extreme liberalism is very important to him. It's turned into, for the moment, a um, you know a two can- a two candidate race here, and there's DeSantis on the sideline, you know, um, basically having having a fight with Mickey Mouse. Meanwhile, Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley waded into the conflict, inviting Disney to move its operations to South Carolina, where she was once governor. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Prosecutor from District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office want restrictions placed on former President Donald Trump. 
They say Trump should be forbidden from sharing evidence produced during his criminal case with the media and the public. Prosecutors asked a New York judge to enter a protective order. The move would limit what materials Trump would view and where he could view them. The order would also make clear that the discovery materials could not be shared with reporters or posted on social media platforms. Prosecutors have said they expect to start handing discovery materials to defense lawyers after the order is entered. The parties have been unable to agree on all aspects of an order. Trump's lawyers say they plan on lodging a response to the new filing next week. Tucker Carlson breaks his silence. He delivered a monologue from his Twitter account yesterday. Carlson was taking a few days off after his split from Fox. Here's what he had to say. The undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink, and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Carlson says meaningful debate is not permitted in American media, and that he feels like the U.S. is starting to look like a one-party state. He ended his monologue by asking, Where can you still find Americans saying true things? Twitter owner Elon Musk suggested Carlson take advantage of Twitter's new monetization features earlier this week. Musk says Twitter's subscription service allows content creators to prosper while not applying censorship that goes beyond the law. Fox News' ratings plummeted this week in Tucker Carlson's former time slot. According to Nielsen, Carlson used to generate over 3 million viewers per night. But in the 8 p.m. hour on Monday, the new Fox News Tonight drew only 2.6 million viewers, 20% less than before. Tuesday's ratings came in even lower at half the original figure. Meanwhile, Fox Corporation shares have tumbled 3.75% in the last five days. Air traffic control towers across the country are severely understaffed, causing problems for air travel. Now the FAA is asking lawmakers to approve President Biden's proposed funding to guarantee safe flying conditions. Here are the highlights of this week's budget hearing. Safety is not free. Acting FAA Administrator Billy Nolan on Wednesday reminded lawmakers of 10 dangerous situations that occurred in U.S. airspace so far this year. The recent closed calls remind us that safety requires continuous, predictable, and robust funding. He went on to say the FAA needs the funding laid out by President Biden in his budget proposal for fiscal year 2024. Biden requests nearly $20 billion to operate and enhance the airspace system. The FAA is straining to meet increased demand for air travel. It comes at a time when its air traffic control towers nationwide are already understaffed, some more than others. Senator Ted Cruz wrote in a letter to DOT Secretary Pete Buttigieg that the air traffic control center in New York is only at 54 percent, far below the national average of 81 percent. This takes its toll on what's supposed to be planned and organized air travel. Uh, During some of the more frustrating times, I had someone say, uh, I don't feel like I'm buying a ticket, I feel like I'm buying a chance. 
The congressman pointed out that cancellations and delays have already been rising, and now air travel is projected to further increase. Nolan agrees, saying without rapid funding for more personnel and other improvements, the public will likely face more disruptions. We expect air traffic will meet or exceed pre-pandemic levels this year, and we don't see that slowing down. Republican Steve Womack said he's pessimistic about this committee's ability to get responsible legislation across the floor of the House and the Senate signed into law and certainly by October 1st. And Combined with Biden's proposed $20 billion proposal, the FAA would receive another $5 billion in advance annual appropriations. This brings the FAA's total funding request to nearly $25 billion. Talk show host Jerry Springer died today at the age of 79. Springer's publicist confirmed the news this morning. The controversial host is best known for his raucous TV talk show, The Jerry Springer Show. It came out in 1991 and ran for 27 years. At its peak, its ratings beat those of The Oprah Winfrey Show, but it was considered a symbol of lowbrow TV featuring bickering, profanity, and dysfunctional families. Springer called it escapist entertainment, while others argued the show led to a decline in American social values. Springer served as mayor of Cincinnati from 1977 to 78. When we come back, sales of ultra-right beer have been skyrocketing. The company launched less than two weeks ago and is expected to hit $1 million in sales. And along the West Coast, officials are gearing up for the wildfire season, hoping to mitigate risks we have that and more just after the break. Welcome back. House Republicans passed their debt bill last night. It proposes to increase the national debt by $1.5 trillion until March 31st next year. In return for spending cuts, the bill will likely die in the Senate, where Democrats have the majority and the White House continues to advocate for an unconditional increase to the debt ceiling. Joining us now to discuss is founder and president of the Brownstone Institute, Jeffrey Tucker. He's also a senior economics columnist with the Epoch Times. Jeffrey Tucker, thank you for joining us. Such a pleasure. Thank you. So do you think there's a need to increase the national debt ceiling, and, um, uh, or do you think there's another way forward? Uh, no, there's no need. We could balance the budget today, uh, starting by eliminating the agencies that everybody hates and everybody recognizes are not necessary, the performance of the NIH and the CDC, uh, the FDA, or, you know, and the Department of Agriculture, Department of Education over the last few years has been a disaster. We need cuts in all those things, and not just cuts, but eliminations to get back to constitutional style government. We could do that. The other thing, if the government needed to raise revenue to cover its debts, they own so much, so many assets and so much land, especially in the West. There's no reason for all this. If we had the political will out there, and one would hope that the Republicans would be the ones to impose it, <clears throat> we could balance the budget uh, tomorrow. But they're not doing that. Instead, they're just accumulating ever more debt, which is a genuine threat to taxpayers, because that debt has to be serviced by you and me. And it's uh, in real time right now, plus leaving that debt to our children and our grandchildren at a very time when the dollar is under fire internationally. This would be a great time to balance the budget. And the, the Republicans have the perfect excuse right now if they bo bothered to educate the electorate about it. We could issue a budget bal uh, balanced budget today with no de debt increase. 
So if passed, how would this bill affect inflation in the country? Well, so here's the problem. Every time the government spends more than it's taking in, it uh, increases the liabilities for the Federal Reserve, which is ultimately called upon to what's called monetize this debt by buying the assets with newly printed money. Now, uh, we live in times when the Fed's trying to unravel its balance sheet as fast as possible, which is leading to a falling uh, money supply. Uh, and raising interest rates as a way of containing inflation. So increasing the debt, you know, long term actually puts more liabilities on the Federal Reserve and raises the risk of greater inflation in the future. Do you see a scenario in the future where the national debt actually goes down instead of up? And what would it take to get to that state? <clears throat> well, uh, possibly. Uh, that could happen if there were a giant, a, a big change in public sentiment towards government. But that's already that's already sort of happening. But then the political uh, parties have to respond to it. Our elected leaders need to carry our wishes uh, to Washington and genuinely cut. Now, uh, uh, cutting the budget is never in anybody's particular political interest. This is the problem. These guys. Uh, get reelected by passing out more money to their constituents, not by cutting it off. So uh, this is a major problem, uh, but I, I never give up hope. I, I, I think that uh, someday we'll arrive at a point where there's going to be a political will uh, to cut the budget, and that may come after a big financial crisis. We're already starting to see that develop on several uh, ends here with the dollar now under threat internationally that could end up devaluing uh, the uh, rating status of, of the U.S. bonds. That could have a profound effect. And if the banking system keeps being unstable and we keep picking off these regional banks one by one, we could eventually see a financial crisis develop. Under those conditions, we might have to cut the budget just for the sake of the survival of the nation and the dollar itself. If that time comes, yeah, we'll see big uh, cuts. Regardless, these profligate ways of Washington just don't really have a future. It's something's got to change. Jeffrey Tucker, senior economics columnist for the Epoch Times and president of the Brownstone Institute, thank you for your time. Such a pleasure. Thank you. A product called Conservative Dad's Ultra-Ripe Beer is expected to surpass $1 million in sales since launching in mid-April. The company took off following the backlash and boycott of Bud Light. The million-dollar mark is fast approaching after only being in business for less than two weeks. Retail sales of Bud Light have crashed as people boycott the beverage following the brand's partnership with transgender activist Dylan Mulvaney. Ultra-right CEO Seth Weathers told Fox Business his company is more than a beer company. It's a movement of people who are speaking up and saying no. The company promotes its beer as being made with only four ingredients, 110 calories, and, quote, 100% woke-free. Moving on now, the Biden administration is challenging Tennessee's new law banning cross-sex drugs and procedures for children. The Department of Justice filed a lawsuit yesterday. The DOJ asked the court to issue an immediate order to stop the bill from going into effect on July 1st. The law bans health providers from performing cross-sex medical procedures on minors. It also bans them from prescribing hormone treatments and puberty blockers for gender transitioning. 
Lawmakers have argued that the law is needed to protect and the health and welfare of children. They say cross-sex procedures could lead to children becoming sterile or worse mental health issues. The DOJ argues that the law violates the 14th Amendment's Equal Protections Clause. North Dakota also has a stricter law now. The state will now only let people use bathrooms, lockers, and showers that correspond to their sex at birth. The restriction applies to dorms at state-run colleges and universities, prisons and correctional facilities for youth and adults. Those who wish to use other bathrooms and showers, including people identifying as transgender or gender nonconforming, will need to get permission from the facility. The bill overwhelmingly passed the state legislature with majorities large enough to overcome a governor's veto. North Dakota becomes the eighth state to have this kind of law. A week ago, the state also passed a law that makes it a crime to conduct cross-sex procedures or prescribe puberty blockers for minors. The Biden administration continues to face scrutiny over the crisis at the southern border. Witnesses spoke out on the exploitation of unaccompanied children at a House hearing yesterday. Here's the summary. Tara Rodas is a whistleblower from the Health and Human Services Department. She testified at Wednesday's hearing that she discovered the abuse when volunteering at an emergency intake site in California. I thought I was going to help place children in loving homes. Instead, I discovered that children are being trafficked through a sophisticated network that begins with recruiting in home country, smuggling to the U.S. border, and ends when ORR delivers a child to a sponsor. Some sponsors are criminals and traffickers and members of transnational criminal organizations. Some sponsors view children as commodities and assets to be used for earning income. This is why we are witnessing an explosion of labor trafficking. Rhoda says the children end up in the hands of human traffickers because the vetting process for sponsors is practically non-existent. She also noted that over 85,000 follow-up calls for these children went unanswered since the start of the Biden administration. Now, the administration is really, we're engaged in creating slavery. slavery. We are trafficking slaves to this country. Absolutely. There is no doubt we have created a pull. And because these, this criminal element tragically views children as a commodity, we, they see us as the middleman because we're paying the flight directly to the end user, the trafficker. Sheena Rodriguez, founder and president of Alliance for a Safe Texas, testified she's met children like these in Texas. They come with these small little pieces of paper with handwritten numbers on them. They're told, uh, from what they tell me, um, of who their sponsors are going to be, that this is their, a lot of them is their tío, um, like their uncle, their, their mother or their father that they've never met. Lawmakers from both parties acknowledged the seriousness of the issue and vowed to look for solutions. You can watch the full hearing on NTD News at ntd.com. The battle against wildfires is ramping up on the West Coast. As summer approaches, officials are racing to minimize fire risk. The measures include prescribed burns and educational campaigns. In Washington state, officials are revisiting the use of prescribed burning. The state dropped this measure about two decades ago over concerns of poor air quality. Prescribed fire isn't bad and isn't dangerous. We actually need more of it on the landscape and we need to be bringing fire in under our terms and at the right times. Otherwise, nature will and we're going to have troubles. In a county close to the Idaho state border, a group of about 50 firefighters gather to burn dry wood and debris. These are substances that help further fuel wildfires. 
The area has been the focus of prescribed burns since late last year, but such a practice is often hampered by weather conditions like rainfall and high humidity. It's a frustrating emotional roller coaster. You'll have you'll have days when you're absolutely certain things are going well, and and then something changes. The weather forecast changes, or or uh, you'll have staff people get sick, and you won't have the people you need to do a fire correctly. During a recent visit to California's capital region, U.S. Fire Administrator Dr. Lori Moore Merrill outlined the need to keep informing the public about protecting their homes. So it's important that people make sure there's space between that vegetative fuel and their homes. Because once we have a wildfire, embers move quickly, and if it's a wind-driven wildfire, then it will ignite. That vegetation will burn very quickly, and it will spread the fire very quickly. It's important that we have that defensible space or where we can stop the fire before it reaches your home. Officials advise residents to take steps now to make sure their homes and neighborhoods are more resilient to fire. Rats get a bad rap, but they're on a mission to change their reputation. At the San Diego Zoo, they're being trained to sniff out illegal items like landmines and trafficked wildlife. NTD's Andrew Thomas has this report. This is Runa. She's not your average rodent. The African giant pouched rat is a resident here at the San Diego Zoo. And she's doing her best to counter the prejudice against her species. Officials are using her keen sense of smell for search and rescue, disease detection, and contraband. So rats are smaller, more compact. Um, they are lighter, so they can get into smaller spaces too. So they might even be able to just sniff a vent and tell if anything in like a cargo bin is um, something illegal, depending on what they're trained to detect. A team of African giant pouched rats spent a month at a port in Tanzania in March. Their mission? detect smuggled timber and pangolins. There are a lot of different species, but pangolin are one of the most trafficked animals in the world, so pangolin scale could be something that they could detect. Um, so anything that you can think of that might be trafficked, it could be everything from plants. We get a lot of illegally trafficked plants, reptiles, mammals, birds. African giant pouched rats also live longer than typical rats. The reason we're using African giant pouched rats is because they're very long-lived. Um, so that means that when we are training them, we're investing all this time and, and effort into training them, they then still have a working lifespan ahead of them. For these working rodents, it's an opportunity to change the narrative. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Coming up, a Grammy-winning Fugees rapper is convicted in federal court. He was charged with working on behalf of China and a Malaysian businessman to influence the U.S. government. And the White House promises to veto a bill on solar panels should it pass Congress. The bill would bring back certain tariffs that Biden has done away with. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. The South Korean president meets with business magnate Elon Musk in Washington. The two met to discuss investments in South Korea, including potential Tesla factories. Yoon wants more investment in his country. He touted South Korea as an ideal spot for Tesla to build a gigafactory. He cited the country's cutting-edge industrial robots and highly skilled workers. He also offered to provide tax benefits and other forms of support. The two met at Musk's request during President Yoon's six-day visit to the U.S. 
Musk told Yoon that South Korea remains one of the top candidates for Tesla's gigafactories. South Korean news agency Yonhap said Musk is planning to visit South Korea when he has the opportunity. A Fuji's rapper accused in multi-million dollar political conspiracies that spanned two presidencies was convicted yesterday. The trial included testimony ranging from actor Leonardo DiCaprio to former U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions. NTD Daniel Monahan has the details. Grammy-winning musical artist Prakazral Praz Michelle was accused of funneling about $2 million from Malaysian financer Joe Lowe to Barack Obama's 2012 re-election campaign. Michelle reportedly received millions of dollars in return. Prosecutors say Michelle masked the source of the funds since federal election law prohibits foreigners from donating to U.S. campaigns. Michelle was also accused of working on behalf of China. Prosecutors say he tried to lobby the U.S. government to send Chinese billionaire and dissident Guo Wengui back to China. A jury found him guilty of all 10 counts, including conspiracy and acting as an unregistered agent of a foreign government. The defense argued Michelle simply wanted to make money. They claim he got bad legal advice as he reinvented himself in the world of politics. Michelle says Lowe wanted a picture with Obama in 2012 and was willing to pay millions of dollars to get it. Michelle agreed to help and says he used some of the money he got to pay for friends to attend fundraising events. Jolo is now an international fugitive. He is wanted for a scheme that allegedly pilfered billions from the Malaysian state investment fund known as 1MDB. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. An intensifying tug of war between President Biden and some House lawmakers over solar panels. Biden plans to veto a House bill if it passes because should the bill go through, it would reinstate certain U.S. tariffs that he suspended specifically those on solar panels from four southeastern Asian countries. Here are the details. The bipartisan bill could come up for a full vote in the House as soon as this week. But how did it come to this point? And what's all the controversy surrounding solar panels? Here's the background. For years, American solar panel makers have been struggling to compete with products from China. They have to contend with the country's state-backed subsidies. That means Chinese solar panels are sold at a price that's so low, it's very hard to compete with. In response, the U.S. slapped tariffs on Chinese solar imports. But here's another twist. U.S. solar panel makers suspect China has been evading tariffs through four Southeastern Asian countries. America gets over 80 percent of its solar panel imports from these countries. Last year, at the request of an American solar panel company called Oxen, the Commerce Department started investigating the issue. And the ongoing investigation halted most solar panel imports at the time. The holdup delayed solar projects across America. As a result, American companies that install solar panels were upset. They say the investigation could hold up America's transition into clean energy and that the resulting delay could cost the industry billions of dollars. To address that, President Biden decided to pause tariffs on solar imports from Southeast Asia for two years. The effort sought to create a buffer while domestic manufacturers ramp up production. Later, the Commerce Department found some Chinese solar panel makers dodged U.S. tariffs. That's by moving products through Southeast Asia. Some bipartisan House lawmakers are now pushing a bill to overturn Biden's decision, saying American companies need to be protected from China's unfair trade practices.
But the bill is facing pushback, mainly from solar industry groups and some congressional Democrats. They say adding the tariff would increase costs and delay solar projects. The White House says it also strongly opposes the bill, arguing that Biden's policy has worked. A Democrat that co-sponsored the House bill disagrees. Representative Dan Kildee said China has been found to have violated our trade laws, yet the United States has failed to respond, including suspending tariffs and letting their unlawful behavior go unanswered. Zooming out, an analysis expects Chinese-controlled solar panel makers to sell more products in America, growing their market share to 45 percent, a 3 percent uptick. That prediction comes from PV Tech. Chinese solar panel makers are also eyeing certain U.S. subsidies meant for boosting domestic clean energy manufacturing. Three Chinese solar panel makers are in the process of building plants in America, one in South Carolina, one in Ohio, and one in Arizona. Speaking of international trade, China's yuan is doing well. It overtook the dollar in this area for the first time ever in March. NTD's Tiffany Meyer brings us more on this. A new currency is rising on the global stage. For the first time, the Chinese yuan overtook the U.S. dollar for trade in March between China and neighboring countries. Based on data from the State Administration of Foreign Exchange, cross-border payments and receipts in yuan rose to a record $550 billion in March, from $434 billion a month earlier. Other calculations show the yuan was used in over 48 percent of all cross-border transactions. That's up from nearly zero in the year 2010. On the other hand, the U.S. dollar clocked in at close to 47 percent, dropping from 83 percent in 2010. The currency's boost reflects longtime efforts by Beijing to internationalize the currency. But worth noting, the numbers come from mainland China and Hong Kong's capital markets. They don't represent transactions used by the rest of the world. Its use in global trade remains low, though it has shown steady increases. According to banking system SWIFT, the yuan's share in global payments saw little change at just over 2 percent in March. SWIFT data showed that the yuan's share of global currency transactions for trade finance rose to 4.5 percent in March. While the yuan is doing well, the Chinese officials set to attend the coronation of King Charles in the UK next month is raising eyebrows. He was a key player in the crackdown on pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong. Politico says Han Zheng, the recently appointed deputy to Chinese leader Xi Jinping, is expected to represent China at the celebrations on the 6th of May. His presence will likely anger the conservative members of parliament who are critical of the Chinese regime and fear that Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is too friendly towards Beijing. In 2019, Han proposed an extradition bill that could have potentially allowed Hong Kong suspects to be sent for trial to China. The bill triggered widespread pro-democracy protests lasting 13 weeks. It was withdrawn, but China imposed a national security law in 2020, making it easier to prosecute protesters. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, Poland finds something being called a military object in a forest. The object is sparking worries that the Ukraine war is creeping over the border again. And in Russia, KFC locations reopen under a new name after KFC's parent company finalizes its exit from the country. More shortly here, on NTD News Today.
military object is found in a Polish forest, sparking fears of crossfire from the Ukraine. But local media report it may actually be a lost missile from the Polish army. The discovery of what's been described as a military object in a forest in Poland is highlighting fears of crossfire from the Ukraine war spilling across the border. Although it's not clear where it actually came from, and local media say it may actually be Polish. The Polish Defense and Justice Ministries haven't publicly identified the object, nor have they said how long it was sitting there. Local authorities all declined to comment. A local radio station, RMF-FM, is reporting that authorities believe it's part of an air-to-surface missile several meters long and probably owned by the Polish army, but didn't cite their sources. The area is hundreds of kilometers from the border, and there is reportedly a military airport nearby. Regardless, Poland is on heightened alert for incidents like this. Last November, two people were killed in Poland by what its government concluded was a Ukrainian air defense missile that misfired. Hyundai could soon stop car productions in Russia. South Korean media reports that Hyundai plans to exit the country and sell its manufacturing plants there to a Kazakh company. Negotiations to sell the factories are in the final stage, and Hyundai is just waiting for final approval from the Russian government. Operations at its Russian plants have been suspended since last year. In a statement, Hyundai Motor says it's reviewing various scenarios for its future in the country, saying there's no final decision yet. Hyundai recently became South Korea's most profitable publicly traded company. Sales of its cars rose over 13 percent globally in the past three months. KFC restaurants in Russia began reopening under a new name on Tuesday, reviving a Russian fried chicken brand that was born in the collapse of the Soviet Union. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the two-piece combo and more. KFC's parent company, Yum! Brands, finalized its exit from Russia last week. The fast food corporation sold its master franchise rights to local company Smart Service. The deal included all its Russian KFC restaurants. Literally within the next few days, we plan to open 25 restaurants in Moscow, 15 restaurants in the Hantimasiska Tominus region, and then we will open all of our remaining 26 restaurants in the Moscow region throughout May. These locations are set to reopen under the name Rostix. Rostix was originally launched in 1993 while Russia was transitioning from communism to capitalism, and the restaurant chain became KFC's vehicle for expansion in Russia. In total, there are now more or less 1,250 KFC restaurants in the country because something opens or closes all the time, but the number is in this range. KFC partnered with Rostix in 2005 before later buying it out. Now Smart Service is building up the brand again. The remaining restaurants are owned by independent partners who are franchise members. You said the Rostix network. This is not entirely correct because now the overwhelming majority of the network is KFC. Our task is to encourage our partners to move over to Rostix. The revamp mirrors that of former McDonald's restaurants. A local licensee took over those locations last summer and rebranded as Vakusno and Tocha, or Tasty and That's It. But the menu is unchanged. All the recipes in our menu are being kept the same. If you go and look now at the technology and the dishes that we prepare, they repeat the KFC menu one for one. 
And this is a big plus, because as part of our agreement with Yum Brands, we support two franchises with the same recipes. Rostix plans to rebrand all its KFC locations in 18 months. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. When we come back, Chileans worry about growing violence in the country. Now citizens are arming themselves in response to the crime surge. And a dog-like robot helps Paris Metro inspectors repair the 100-year-old railroad network. Find out what jobs it can do and more when we return. Welcome back. Chileans are worried about growing violence in the country. Many feel that the authorities aren't doing enough to stop it. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more on violent crime in the South American nation. Javiera Castillo's pickup truck was stolen at gunpoint outside her Santiago home last June. Since then, she and her partner have been learning to shoot a pistol. That way, they can protect themselves if it happens again. Here, we are taught to use guns, also theory. As we have been taking classes and training, we have improved our aim, handling how to hold it. We are losing some of that fear. Before, I was terrified. When the robbery happened, they aimed at us. We didn't want to leave the house. According to government data, homicides jumped by nearly a third in 2022. Aggravated robberies were up 63%. Kidnappings rose 77%, the highest number on record. Statistically, car theft has significantly increased in Chile. Blocking a driver's path and going to victims' homes nowadays are regrettably exclusive to Chile. Authorities say an influx of guns and organized crime have contributed to the surge. This has led citizens and businesses to arm themselves. Chileans don't want violence. In spite of such a majority and unanimous position in Chile, the truth is that the data shows that recently, violent crime has increased year by year. According to the Ministry of Defense, the number of new gun registrations has reached its highest level since 2009. There has also been a growing demand for armored vehicles. From 2020 to 2023, we have grown fast. We started with few vehicles in the beginning, and the rise in violence has progressively increased the amount of fire in the streets in Chile. It's difficult to think this will end soon. Therefore, our clients look for ways to protect themselves, their families, or their workers. A March Ipsos poll of 29 countries showed Chileans tied with South Africans as the most worried about crime. Chile spent the previous six months at the top. Andrew Thomas. NTD News. Germany is rolling out a cheap nationwide public transport ticket starting next month. The monthly pass is half the normal price at 49 euros or about $54. Chancellor Olaf Scholz hailed the ticket. The hope has come true that this would motivate many to buy the Germany ticket when we have such a simple, uniform and easy to understand offer. And I'm very happy that this is the case. This is a real modernization project from Germany. Schultz said he was impressed by the number of people who had already bought a pass. He also touched on the topic of electric vehicles, adding that he sees the future of mobility as electric. 
He made the remarks during his visit to a public transport company in Berlin. The company is now running more than 200 electric buses. Schultz tried out the e-bus driving performance himself and was pleased with his first driving lesson. Millions of Parisians take the metro every day to get where they need to go. But the aging railroad network is causing some headaches. Fortunately, a new robo-canine is helping out. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Boston Dynamics' dog-like robot has a new job. It's helping Paris metro inspectors repair the 100-year-old regional railroad network. Well, it's fun. It reminds you of a big toy, but it's important that people don't see it as a toy, but as a work tool. It has to be a work tool in the same way as a flashlight, which allows us to see in a tunnel that isn't lit. Inspectors have given it a French name, Percival. Weighing around 90 pounds and at three feet tall, the robot is able to inspect hard-to-reach hazardous areas. So there are work sites where you can't go into at all. Then there are work sites where we go into, but it's difficult and complicated and dangerous for the worker. And so we use this robot to be our eyes. Suddenly we will be able to send it far into the field and it will go and check. The Paris public transport operator bought the robot for around $110,000. They've identified almost 100 civil works for Percival to inspect, including eight miles of cramped tunnels. The metro network in Paris transports 16 million people daily. Before Percival, either we didn't go into the risky tunnels or we were going, but putting the workers' health at risk. So thanks to Percival, we can go. The operator plans to add an autonomous laser scanning module to perform surveys underground. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. New York fire and police departments showed off new technology designed to save lives. Officials demonstrated the fire department's robotic dog, which can hear victims and send information back to emergency responders. The robot dog can walk, sit, and stand up by itself when it gets knocked over. Its primary function is for hazmat situations, but it can also navigate and help with building collapses. Two different types of drones were also part of the demonstration. The drones are used to gather information to give a real-time picture of the stability of a structure. The new technology will be used in limited circumstances when first responders need extra legs and eyes during a mission. Coming up, traces of a carcinogen in a popular brand of instant noodles. Consumers in Indonesia and Malaysia are cautious. And the popularity of genetic tests for Alzheimer's disease is rising. But what do you do if you detect a risk but can't afford treatment? More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. One of the world's biggest instant noodle brands may contain carcinogens. Consumers in Indonesia and Malaysia are cautious today. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. The Taipei Health Department has bad news about Indomie, a popular Indonesian instant noodle brand. On Monday, the department said it had detected traces of a carcinogen, ethylene oxide, in the special chicken flavor. It's actually terrifying, and I hope the reports aren't true, because many Indonesians are Indomie lovers, so I hope it isn't true. Malaysia on Wednesday ordered checks on the product at all points of entry, and asked the brand to recall it. It's dangerous because it is a staple food, easy to eat, especially for students, and cheap. 
So basically, we are playing Russian roulette with our food. We don't know which one has carcinogenic substances. If we intake carcinogenic substances, our body will produce some sort of symptoms. But we will keep on eating. So there is a direct effect. Meanwhile, Indonesia's food regulator on Thursday said the variety was safe for consumption. Some consumers say they aren't too worried. I limit my children's consumption of Indomie to once or twice a week. And it's always been like that. In spite of such reports of carcinogen contamination, we will still consume Indomie. Indofood CBP produces the popular ramen. The company has more than 20 production facilities globally, and its noodles are available in more than 100 countries. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Genetic tests for Alzheimer's are growing ever more popular. But even with new drug treatments, few support services can help people cope with the implications of these genetic tests. Millions of Americans are expected to get tested for Alzheimer's in the coming years. People like Wendy Nelson, who lost her mom to the disease. It comes as a series of new drugs is ushering in sweeping change in how Alzheimer's is treated. But experts warn, while knowledge is power, there could be unexpected consequences. And of course, I had the, the constant fear that, oh, it's good, I'm next, I'm next. And I didn't like living that way. Nelson and her three adult daughters did at-home tests from 23andMe a few years ago. The 52-year-old biotech executive hoped the kit would reassure her family. That idea backfired. I got the results um, online and saw, you know, there's a... a uh, comes up with very dramatic, you have two variants of APOE4, and my heart just sunk. I mean, it's pretty devastating news to, to learn. All four of them had copies of the APOE4 gene variant, which increases their risk for the disease. The National Institutes of Health estimates up to a quarter of people in the U.S. have one copy of APOE4, and up to 5% have two copies. Now, new data shows testing for APOE4 among Americans being treated for Alzheimer's has more than doubled compared to a year ago. That's according to an exclusive analysis of medical records for Reuters by health data firm Truveta. With each copy of the APOE4 that you have, whether if you have one copy or you happen to have two copies, that not only increases your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease in later life, you tend to develop at a slightly younger age. I will caution that just because you have one or two copies of APOE4 does not mean you will, with 100% certainty, develop Alzheimer's disease. It just increases your risk. The testing increase is being driven by new treatments that promise to slow the progression of the disease. Lakembi, for one, which was shown to reduce the rate of cognitive decline by 27% in patients with mild Alzheimer's. But it costs more than $25,000 a year. And right now, mostly isn't covered by Medicare. Another drug from Eli Lilly is in clinical trials. They both can cause swelling and microbleeds in the brain. Still, the drugs are seen as a stepping stone to even more effective treatments in the future. But there's also the question of what happens when you receive potentially life-altering news. Reuters spoke with more than a dozen neurologists and genetic counselors who say there isn't enough support. 
such as explaining the tests and helping patients navigate all potential psychological, medical, financial, and legal obstacles. It's also important to think about financial considerations and life planning. Um, for instance, um, if you haven't yet purchased long-term care insurance um, and you're thinking about it, you may want to purchase that before you learn your results because it, it could influence your ability to obtain coverage. Nelson's risk of developing Alzheimer's is up to 12 times higher than someone without the variant. Except I can't find one that fits in your face. She says if treatment fails, she's opting for legal euthanasia. <laughs> oh my God. But at the moment, she's working her way through a bucket list of trips. Maybe a couple years ago, I might have put it off a little longer. Th though there, you have to be real athletically in, in shape, too, so maybe you don't want to put it off too long anyway. But that's just an example. I did Machu Picchu in the fall. I just did um, Kilimanjaro, and I'm looking for the next bigger mountain. So I might do, um, I don't know, K2 base camp trek or something like that next. The American Heart Association has named the DASH diet as the best for heart health. DASH stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. It aligned 100% with the AHA's goals for heart-healthy eating. The pescatarian diet, which allows for dairy, eggs, fish, and other seafood, came in second with 92%. And the award-winning Mediterranean diet aligned 89%. It came in third mostly because it recommends a small glass of red wine each day and doesn't limit salt. Meanwhile, very low-carb diets and keto diets were in the bottom tier for heart-healthy eating patterns because they emphasized red meat, saturated fats, and limited fruit and vegetable intake. The American Heart Association made the rankings to help doctors get up to speed with nutrition. Antique horse-drawn carriages are back on the streets of Spain. A city in the south is hosting a traditional spring fair. Despite the heat, revelers put on flamenco dresses and other traditional costumes. They rode around the grounds on horseback and in carriages. The event dates back to a livestock fair in the 19th century. Later, it evolved into an annual social gathering. It's now one of Spain's most iconic festivals, bringing the fashionable traditions back to life. Morning and afternoon are the best times to see and be seen, while the evening is, the, is for dancing and revelry. The fair starts two weeks after Easter. This year, it began last Sunday and ends on Friday. Thank you for tuning in today. If you'd like to share any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. My name is Chris Beers, and you're watching NTD News, New York City.